Housing is one of the most visible forms of intergenerational unfairness facing society today. ONS figures show a 46% rise in young people between the ages of 20 to 34 returning to live at home with their parents. Average house prices are roughly eight times one's average income. And for those of you who rent, 40% of your paycheck is probably spent on landlords. I'm Elisa Anwar, and on this month's episode, I'll be analysing the growing housing crisis amongst young people today. I'll be chatting to members of Rent Strike, students and experts to understand the injustices within university and private sector accommodation and what should be done. So what if we solve the housing crisis? What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation. Two decades ago, there were 1.5 million students in the UK. Currently, we have around 2.3 million. Therefore, student housing, both in the form of university halls and private sector accommodation, is a growing area of interest for both investors within the UK and abroad. But an increase in demand for student accommodation unfortunately goes hand in hand with an increase in student exploitation. For example, let's take Sussex University. The average cost of a room is £125 a week. For the same price in non-student accommodation in Brighton, you could get a double bed, a kitchen, a living space, and even a garden. (laughs) This just doesn't add up. Many students are using nearly all of their maintenance loan on rent. In fact, in this respect, the government are simply placing money straight into the hands of investors. I spoke to Meg, Charlie and Ruth all organisers and participants of Rent Strike across the country, to understand a little more about the injustices within university accommodation and what students can do. Thank you so much for joining me all today. I'm sure that you all truly understand the frustrations that students have with regards to their accommodation. So I'm, I'm interested, why has rent for university accommodation increased so much over the last decade? Um, I feel like it's a natural result of like the commodification and like privatization that we've seen of the university sector since about 1998 Um, and rent like if you look at the rates of student rent they have not increased with inflation but they've gone up massively and I think we need to look at like the people at the top of the institutions at my university UCL the profost is on 9.5 times more than the median salary of anyone else in the institution and it's like we're we're subsidizing with our rent his over £400,000 annual salary and it's just a really weird situation that we've got ourselves in where students are seen as they need to pay for their education and pay such extortionate rates it's just it's really bizarre. Yeah rent is I feel like it's a sort of easy source of income for for a lot of universities like with a lot of stuff tuition fees are kind of I guess sort of tied up and paying for education and whatever but you know some institutions who will make a choice to make a profit from their residences they can sort of do with the money what they want I guess in a way and sort of fund what they want you know I guess the example from UCL is a good one the fact that your rent money isn't exactly coming straight back to students. And Charlie you mentioned that you're currently in halls at the moment so what do you feel about the rent prices that you're paying? Oh I mean rent is just extortionate at the moment um, I mean, I, I come from a low income family. M- neither of my parents went to university. Um, it's literally just my sister and myself that went to university. She went 
uh, to Kent, so she gets the normal rate of maintenance loan, but I'm in London, so my loan has the London waiting. So I get the maximum level, which is £12,000, but then you realise, like, 10000 of that is just going straight to rent. So you have £2,000 to live off of for the nine months. King's College London did a study, and they found that students need £1,250 to live off of per month in London so the rent prices are absolutely extortionate and it's just impossible to come from such a, a low-income family to to, to rise above <laughs> basically poverty it's so difficult to get out of that and the entire system just makes it difficult and you're all coordinators and participants in Rent Strike and Ruth, you're an SU student living officer, is that right, for Bristol? Um, so if we come to you first, what is your role? What is this organisation? Why are you part of it? Um, so I'm part of the National Rent Strike Movement and it was set up, well, it was set up in 2016 after, I guess, the infamous UCL rent strikes where they won about £1.5 million from their university, which was really amazing. And then it's just kind of been bumbling along and there's been like rent strikes over the country specifically about like the price of rent in halls and then it all sort of just blew up when it came to COVID I think a lot of people were feeling um Charlie I'm sure you can speak more to this as someone in halls but feeling like I've just been brought back to university to pay rent and tuition pretty much and a lot of people weren't getting a lot of the same halls experiences that I as a fourth year got when I was in halls and there started to be calls for like rent reductions and contract releases over the year. And then it just kind of blew up as well. We've gone through two lockdowns now since the start of term. I think just more and more people were like, I'm I, I'm not getting what I'm paying for. I should not be paying. And it's just sort of blown up into a bit of a movement. I joined personally like I'm an SU officer, but I was involved in organising a rent strike in Bristol in 2018 against the high rent prices. And we managed to win some rent reductions and also get the university to agree to a measure of affordability, which now we're working towards, which is um, getting beds to 50% of the maximum maintenance loan. So you can actually be afford affordable, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, just, you know, this explosion of, you know, the student movement is growing again. People are becoming radicalized by, by the treatment that they're facing at the hands of the, their universities and the government. So it's just been really, really exciting to get involved with and just, you know, I think rent strikes at what 55 universities around the UK, which is just incredibly exciting. I think rent strike gives us a really good opportunity because it it's an attempt to provide a long lasting and cohesive structure to what has been like a very misdirected movement at times. And I think we we all universities kind of witnessed the same sort of explosion of frustration at a similar time. And I think something that really sets us apart from movements of the past, student movements of the past, for example, in 2011, there was more of a an emphasis on horizontalism and like the idea that you don't need leadership, which is which is a lovely idea, but it, it hasn't got us anywhere so far. And I think a lot of this movement recognizes the need for structure and the need for organization to get our demands met because in reality that's that's what we need we don't have a lot of resources on our side so I think rent strike now is, is really positive in that sense. So Meg if you were to explain to students who didn't really know anything about rent strike or how it worked how would you just simply explain to our listeners what they can do as students to take part? So I think the first thing I'd say is like see if there is a rent strike group on your campus because a lot of us are like 
there, we're in 55 universities, which is nearly a third of all UK universities, which is really great. Um, but if there isn't, like, try and set one up, get in touch with the national rent strike movement. But in terms of like the practicalities of actually cancelling your rent, it's really simple. All you have to do is either message your bank, call up your bank, or just like cancel the direct debit yourself. Um, it's it's good and it's good to inform yourself on like the ideas of actually what rent is and what landlordism is. Uh, I think you have to be almost have like an analytical approach to like organizing this as well because you need to understand what you're actually fighting against and be prepared to have these difficult conversations. So I would say um, get in touch, get informed and like inform yourself of the practicalities of things as well. And a question, I guess, for you all, do you think that the student housing crisis has evolved as a result of the pandemic? Do you think it's got better? Do you think it's got worse? Um, I think it's definitely got a lot worse. We've got situate, obviously, the whole situation in halls of, you know, you know, rents have been going up for ages, but the situation in halls where, you know, rents are at an all time high and students aren't getting necessarily the same kind of level level of accommodation service and the whole fact that students are really suffering financially now at the moment as well it all just kind of comes to a bit of a peak and also with the private sector we're seeing like we're seeing so much like disdain for the struggles that students are facing in the private sector I know a lot of us have issues with universities but you know it's been quite good to see universities do something for people who haven't come back but private sector haven't even done that if I'm being honest they haven't stood up they haven't looked at themselves and gone okay I'm someone who owns at least two properties um I need to do something for students who are you know usually in really really dire financial situations to help them and it's been really really disappointing to see the private sector not stand up and not do absolutely anything and also the government just completely ignore us so I think yeah no it's, it's kind of come to a bit of a peak and that's why we're seeing rent strikes happening is it's you know people like we're tired of being exploited by our, our landlords whoever they are I mean I have to agree um the main issue that we're having at the moment is that with COVID there's not really a jobs market and I think the statistic was like Meg can you correct me here there was about one in nine people that are working students that are working full time there's one in nine students that are working full time uh, to fund their university studies to fund the cost of living with the job market as it is with covid it's just impossible to have a job so if you combine all of these factors with covid with jobs the housing crisis is just getting worse it's classist in a way, because poorer students are just not able to join universities. There's no way they can fund their studies. That's it. Yeah, I would I would add to that. But I would also say that I think the growing movement at the moment is a real cause for optimism for a lot of people. Like I've spoken to a few lecturers in the UCU, which is the University and Colleges Union, and a lot of them have been saying that they are so glad that students are finally realizing that they're being ripped off. Because since the 1990s, lecturers have witnessed a 20% real terms pay decrease. And at the same time, our, like we've seen the introduction of tuition fees. So while we're being ripped off, they're being ripped off as well. And we need to question who's actually benefiting from this. Um, so I think it's a real cause for hope. And the, if we can really channel all of the energy from this movement, I think we, we will see change. And I think the, the housing crisis will evolve because people will be demanding better. Hopefully we will see change. 
Housing injustices have only increased as a result of the pandemic, with many students signing contracts because universities told them that in-person teaching would happen, for them to retract their claims once students arrived, others paying rent for properties they can't physically live in because of the lockdown, and all the while, the majority of student accommodation providers continue to receive their rent. However, there is a small silver lining. Students at some universities, for example Sheffield and Manchester Metropolitan University, are able to receive a refund on their rent if they are unable to make use of their university-owned accommodation between set dates. A few other universities are following. This is great if you're a student living in university accommodation. But 80% of students don't live in university-owned accommodation at all. Rather, they live in private housing. So what happens to them? What have their experiences been? I'm joined by university students Emily and Kit, who are both here to share their experiences of renting in the private sector as students. So um, if we go back before the pandemic started, how was your experience of student housing? Emily, if we come to you first. For me, we kind of went to uni in like September and we were told like, oh, if you don't have your housing sorted by like December, you know, that's it. You're just going to have nowhere to live like the next year. So I feel like letting agents really kind of like prey on that. Yeah, I know for me with my undergrad in Durham, if we didn't sign like a year in advance, there would be no houses at all. Like the experience was so stressful. Kit, what about you? Yeah, no, I mean, it was the same for me, really. I'm in my second year now, so kind of a recent memory. But yeah, it was the same for us. We were essentially told, you know, if you have to get your houses sorted by the end of the first term, you know, otherwise you won't have anywhere to live in your second year, which is essentially a lie because people can and do find houses in the summer. It definitely encourages people to rush into decisions. I got really lucky. The people I'm living with this year are all really lovely and we got on really well. But I know of so many people who signed housing contracts with people they'd met for like four weeks in freshers and now they're realizing that they absolutely do not want to be living together and then based on that do you have any student housing horror stories then Kit oh gosh I mean we've had quite a few difficulties with our house this year we had like strange men just showing up in the garden completely unannounced to do work on the house and we kept telling our landlords like can you please tell us that these people are coming because my housemate was like waking up in the morning and there was just like a man staring at her through her window and it was really bizarre um we've had like an infestation of mice in the house uh that the landlord hasn't sorted um my housemate got electrocuted because they chewed through the wires one room is like an ecosystem because of how much mold there is in there so yeah in in short yeah, we, I have a few horror stories. But then I always like to say, oh, it's not that bad because people have it worse. But then I think, but why do we have to have it this badly? And what about you, Emily? <laughs> I actually, I think I was fairly lucky in terms of like avoiding horror stories. I mean, we had kind of like usual drama, like the boiler breaking and the landlord not fixing it for kind of like days, weeks, etc. Um but I hear from like my sister who's in her first year at Sheffield, like she's had the same with a rat infestation. We had such a bad experience. I remember everything broke in our house and it was so much stress as well because every time something broke, you had to go to your like estate agents and they had to contact the landlord. 
and it took weeks for things to get sorted and I remember we just didn't have heating at one point and I was up north so it was just so cold as well um, but Kit all the problems that you talked about do you think that it was because you're a student that they were allowed to get away with it? I think partly because I think they know that you know when you sign these contracts you're 18, 19, you go and live in them you know for the vast majority of people it's the first time they've ever lived in their own place and been responsible for everything. Like, I think they know that students don't have the money or the time or the knowledge to fight back as much as you might do if you kind of had more experience. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think a lot of landlords take advantage of students kind of not necessarily like knowing their rights and knowing about kind of housing. Because I remember when we moved into our second year house, one of my housemates' sisters had said to us photograph absolutely everything because they will rinse you for your deposit if you don't so we were kind of really lucky that when we moved out they were trying to charge us for stuff like a stained mattress and like blue tack marks on the wall but we had pictures of like everything from the day we moved in to say you know like this is this is rubbish the blue tack marks were already there but like a lot of students may not know to do that and so they kind of get, yeah, that rinse for their deposit. Moving on now, let's look at how things are during the pandemic, um, because we seem to be having a new housing crisis that's unfolding because obviously a lot of students, they're paying for houses and they're paying rent for places that they can't live in because of lockdown. So how have you felt about this? Have you have you been a victim of this or? Um I feel like I've been quite lucky in terms of like this academic year that I have been able to live in like my student accommodation because we've had a bit of in-person teaching but I think last year it was really frustrating kind of being forced to kind of move home in March and paying rent in Newcastle for a house that I wasn't in from like March to July. A lot of universities now are offering um, compensation for people who've been in halls but there's no kind of like similar thing that you can really do with private landlords in terms of like giving rent back to them because you know the union will say oh well it's these individual landlords this is their income so you like they're not in a position to do anything about it. I kind of had the reverse situation to you Emily in that last year I was in university halls and they did when we all got sent home in March they did refund us but now I'm at home at the moment and I'm paying just insane amounts of money in rent for my house this year in Nottingham that I'm just not in rent and bills you know and yeah there's nothing you can do with private landlords it just feels like a slap in the face to be having to pay you know hundreds of pounds each month for a house you're not living in but have have either of you actually tried to get a rent refund so Emily for last year did you try no because I was in because mine was like privately rented and because I hadn't moved all my stuff out in March it kind of it wasn't an option because it wasn't as if my landlord could then rent the house out to someone else because we still had stuff there because we didn't think it would last the months and months that it did so yeah I was only able to kind of properly move out when the contract was up. Yeah we had a similar situation actually I lost around I think £1,200 worth of rent and we were the same as you we had we were kind of forced to move out because um, the MP of our area told us that we all needed to like go back home because we were going to be locked down and then we didn't think it was going to be for that long so I just took like a suitcase of stuff 
and all the other things were just left in the house and but we actually asked for a refund and we were straight up told no kit have you asked for a refund i haven't really i haven't tried and would either of you actually know how you would go about getting a rent refund no not i didn't really know how i would have done last year obviously now i'm living in my house and so it's if I said give me a refund they'd be like well you're living there and I'd be like yeah fair play um but last year I wasn't sure because we'd kind of we only had contact with the landlord herself um but we'd gone through like a letting agent to get the property so the like when the contract ended it was kind of confusing as to whether if we wanted a refund we had to go directly to the landlady or to go to the letting agent so there's just kind of like this not there's no communication with tenants and there's no communication between letting agents and landlords as to where you'd kind of go if you wanted to seek a refund basically. I have no idea what I would do. They don't really make it particularly apparent. You know, there's not a big banner on the landlord's website that's like, here's how you get money from us. So then looking to the future, so moving out of the student lifestyle that we're all in, what do you feel about your prospects of actually buying a house or owning a house in the future? Do you think it's feasible or do you think it's an unrealistic dream? Emily? I feel like it has become quite unrealistic and because of like the field that I want to go to, chances are I'd want I'd end up being like based in London and the thought of owning a house in London is just like completely like so far out the window because I think Halifax or Barclays um, they did some research and basically like the average deposit now in London is £130,000 and it's like that that is just an insane amount of money for me to ever kind of like envision being able to like save and put down on a house and with kind of renting at the moment what you'd what be wanting to save towards a deposit you're kind of throwing away on rent so I just I can't imagine ever being in a position to like to save money to get a deposit unless I was kind of living at home but because of what I want to do that isn't really an option either so yeah overall not feeling not feeling great about owning a house anytime (laughs) anytime soon. Yeah I was just saying that I don't think it is particularly likely that I'm going to own a house anytime soon, if at all. I've just kind of accepted it, honestly, that it's going to be renting from here on in. I think like you said, Emily, you know, it's so difficult to save because renting is so expensive that you don't have the money left over to save. Yeah, one of the things that also kind of irritates me at the moment about like the thought of owning a house kind of as a young person is that you'll see these stories in the media about how how this um how this relatively young person how they managed to save for a house how they managed to pay off their mortgage by the time they were 40 or something like that and then it's like you actually read the article and they've had so much kind of it's not your average you know person in a nine-to-five job working it's someone who has like their family has helped them out loads or you know, like there are all these different circumstances, but they like the story is pitched as though it's something that everyone can do. I know exactly the stories you mean. Like every time I see them, I'm like, I would bet so much money that halfway down, I'm going to read that they didn't have any money to pay on rent or food because they were living with their parents. And obviously that's great for them. And it's a great opportunity for them. 
um but you're right it's not reflective of the situation that the majority of people find themselves in and i think it just kind of highlights the how difficult it is to get on to the housing ladder if you're a young person because these kind of articles make it clear that all of the wealth is essentially just tied up in older generations and unless your parents have the means and the will to help you out you know that's essentially the only option you have almost to start on your own home unless you get insanely lucky or win the lottery they're just so frustrating because I guess you've both said that those sorts of people can get onto the property ladder because they have extra financial help so I guess my question is what more should the government do then to stop this housing crisis amongst young people there needs to be more affordable housing built because at the moment like you're saying the amount of affordable housing being built is just nowhere near kind of meeting meeting demand and it's I feel like it has to kind of go further than that as well in that like there needs to be more kind of price regulation of houses so it like if you look at how much inflation on housing has gone up compared to how much inflation on wages has gone up like on housing it's so disproportionate so I feel like there needs to be some kind of regulation in kind of inflation on housing and wages because if one's so much higher than the other realistically people can't afford can't afford housing even if their wages look higher than they did 20 years ago because otherwise we're all just going to be renting for the rest of our lives or maybe until we're 50 and can finally you know afford a house and I think without that you know you can do as many like help to buy ices or you know like nice little publicity campaigns um, or grants as you want but I think without like genuinely affordable housing or as you say like rectifying the disparity between people's income and house prices you're just not going to solve anything. Very little hope for ever owning a house exploited by bad landlords and losing out on thousands of pounds of rent for student houses that they can't even live in. So what's being done to help young people get onto the property ladder? The UK government has announced a set of housing reforms which include a first home scheme This initiative aims to provide newly built homes at a 30% discount for first-time buyers in the hope to help more younger people get onto the property ladder sooner. However, the scheme isn't exactly what it seems. Firstly, the 30% discount remains fixed, so even when you decide to sell your home, you have to do it at 30% of its market value. Secondly, these measures are being introduced alongside a relaxation of permitted development rights, which could lead to lower quality homes. This doesn't exactly sound like the best solution, does it? So what is the solution to the housing crisis? I talked to Ashley Seagar, a co-founder of the Intergenerational Foundation, to find out what IF wants to see done. To put it in simple terms for our listeners... Why is it then that most of the younger generations are going to be renting for so much longer? We're known as generation rent, really. Let's take an average salary, 25,000. An average house price, I think, is now 250,000. Now, a young person on an average 25,000, they've got to borrow, you know, 20 times their salary. That's just not going to happen. The rule in my day was three times your salary. Sometimes you could get it stretched to five times. So you've just got an issue where young people simply, unless they have a big dollop of cash from wealthy relatives or somewhere else, you can see that the maths don't add up. 
when I bought a house, age, a flat in London, age 25, the average age, I think, of a first-time buyer was 28. It's now 38. Yeah. Um, young, young listeners might want to know, though, well, can anything ever be done about it? Yes. The tax system could be changed. People could be encouraged out of big houses into smaller ones. It's not beyond the wit of man to say, we've got 25 million empty bedrooms. Let's get them filled up. Let's distribute this better. Let's have families living in family houses. And our research shows that I think it's a third, no, or even two thirds of older people in big houses would like to downsize, but they're not incentivized to because their council tax is cheap. And often they don't feel the right properties are available for them or whatever. But really what we should be doing is swapping the one or two old people in a big house with a family that's squashed in a small flat. What does IF want to see done? IF wants to see essentially a, a big increase in incentives for under-occupying baby boomers to move out to their properties. Also, you can have tax incentives that old people let out bedrooms more often. There's no harm in doing that. It doesn't have to be about buying or renting, but if there was more, say every old person with a spare room, often they have three spare rooms, but if they just let one of them out, you might get 15 million more bedrooms used quite easily like that, which would mean a drop in rents, wouldn't it? Because you guys would have a big increase in the supply of rented property that would push rents down. In turn, that would diminish the attraction for buy-to-let investors of buying-to-let. So arguably that would put more property on the market, thus pushing prices down. So we basically, we can't let the status quo stay as it is. We have to push house prices down. One side that we've not really been able to address within this episode is that of the investor in student accommodation. Yes. Could you understand from their perspective why they do what they do? I absolutely understand why they do what they do. You mean the investor? Yeah. Because the return is unbelievably high. You'll see advertisements in the Sunday money sections say, oh, invest in student accommodation, 9%, 10% return. It's absurdly high as a rental return. In institutional investors in other European countries who buy a block of flats and let it out, they're expecting a, a return of 2 or 3%. And what it means is it's part of this whole system that's exploiting young people. So you're, you're all made to take on student debt, which we never were. In part of that is paying accommodation, is paying those 10% returns to private investors or, or semi-private investors, housing associations and so forth. Now the government says, ah, yeah, well, we're getting student accommodation built by the private sector and the public sector doesn't have to build it. So what? So it's absurd. I can absolutely understand the investor who thinks, well, students are taking on student debt. Ultimately, essentially, we've got a government guaranteed stream of income on which we get 10%. So if you're an investor with some spare money, why wouldn't you go into, um, you, you can't really blame the private investor. He's not being evil. He's responding to the incentives in front of him. But it's up to the government to change those incentives. It's absurd to offer uh, 10% return on student accommodation. But that's what's going on. Do you know what's really scary is um, our landlord owned 80 properties. 80, so eight zero in our area. And you just think that 
he they were making like small little attic areas into two bedrooms to get double the rent. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. The amount of money that he would have been making for 80 properties. It is scary. Yeah. My, but my daughters were both, one was at Manchester and one was at Birmingham. Um, so it is shocking what goes on, but, um, and that's part of the student boom. You see, when I went to university, 10% of school leavers went and now it's 45% or something. And they've all got to get this accommodation. And so there's just been a boom in student accommodation. So if you're any businessman, you're going to look at that and think, well, hang on, I've got 80 houses, each with an empty attic. Why don't I do the attic up cheap? And I can get, I mean, they, what's bad about them is that they ignore the law on space and they build without planning permission. So I'm not defending those guys, but they know they get good returns. They know the students are coming. Yeah, students will pay for anything. Although I increasingly, if I was a student now, both my daughters, I said, why don't you go to university here in London? Because then you can live at home. Oh, we don't want to live at home, you losers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, but in general, an awful lot of students go and rent in another town. And, and that big growth in numbers has meant a growth in student accommodation uh, because the returns are very high. So uh, it's another way you guys are getting ripped off. I wouldn't want to be now. I mean, it's just criminal. You guys are leaving university typically with like 50 grand of debt. More than that. More into than a housing that. stock you can't buy in and you can barely rent in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely scandalous. Absolutely scandalous indeed. For many young people, owning a home is simply a dream that will never be fulfilled. And as this episode has shown, the exploitation of younger generations starts from the moment that we go to university or try to get our foot onto the property ladder. IF is extremely concerned about solving the housing crisis which is facing young people today. So what is the solution to all this injustice? As Ashley has shown, it's not just about having more and cheaper housing. We need a better allocation for the housing that we already have, given that so many properties and rooms are currently unoccupied. We need greater incentives by the government to encourage older generations to downsize, and we need better legal protection for students who are exploited by unjust landlords. Fighting for equality amongst current and future generations is something that we should all strive towards and is central to the work of IF. If any of the topics and discussion in this month's podcast have caught your attention, then head over to www.if.org.uk, where IF have conducted incredible research into the topic. Or follow the Intergenerational Foundation on Twitter, Facebook, and even Instagram. What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation.